Hello, everybody. Welcome into another edition of Head Coach U. I am Brian Fisher, joined as always by former BYU and Virginia head coach Bronco Mendenhall and another special guest on this week, head coach of the Penn State Nittany Lions, James Franklin. James, thank you so much for jumping on with us. Brian Bronco, appreciate the opportunity. Really do. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Well, you know, last time I saw you, you, you were you were in Pasadena, you know, and, and you were enjoying holding up that, that Rose Bowl trophy. But then uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, I, I saw you at, at the NBC Upfronts. You're, you're a television executive right now, apparently. Like, are you adding that to your, your, your line on the resume there? <laughs> yeah, to be honest with you, I didn't even know what it was. I got a call from our new commissioner to, to go out and do it. And, and to be honest with you, by, you know, getting there and kind of being behind the scenes and learning about what that is, it was a, it turned out to be a really cool experience for me, but, uh, but no, not anything that I, I plan on investing <laughs> a lot of time or energy in. So, so while we're on that topic, as you see the roles of head coaches, uh, maybe morphing and changing in today's world of college athletics, how is your job changing or how are you, how are you feeling it changing? If any, compared to maybe when you started in the profession or as a head coach? Yeah, Bronco, as you know better, you know, than than most, uh, it's changed dramatically in the last five years, if not 10 years. Um, you started to feel it probably 10 years ago where the NCAA seemed to be less active is maybe the word I would use in defending some of the core beliefs that maybe we came up, Bronco, in the profession where literally every question started or ended with student of student athlete uh, mm-hmm. and, and making sure that everything kind of started and ended around, you know, their opportunity to get, to get a great education coupled, you know, with the ability to play you know, big time athletics. And then obviously the changes with, transferring starting with grad students and then trickling down to now the you know a full-blown transfer portal when they can pretty much leave whenever they want you see examples um which is disturbing in a lot of ways but you see examples of guys that have now transferred four and five times which i don't think that that's what this was intended to be um and then the NIL, which which people like, well, now there's all these unforeseen consequences to it. And people that really have been in this profession for a long time are saying, like, none of these were unforeseen. They're all they're all foreseen. Um, so it's different. But one of the things that I would say, you know, Bronco, is um, I'm trying to do a good job with myself and with my staff of reminding them that I still believe that these guys want to be coached. They want to be developed. And at the end of the day, it's still ultimately about the game of football and teaching and coaching and loving these guys and and having a great experience. But if you're not careful, especially Bronco, a guy like yourself or myself, that it's so different than what we got used to that you spend too much time and energy thinking about those things and how much it changed rather than saying, okay, but at the end of the day, it's still about the kids. It's still about the players and their families and their uh, educational experience. I I know it's a long winded answer, but I was with Jeremy Foley last week. I go to a leadership summit every, every spring 
and it's a really good leadership summit, and it's run by most of the special forces guys. And, oh, yeah, you you came the one year, Bronco, right? So I just got back from that, and Jeremy Foley spoke, and one of the things he talked about, there's this great picture. I think it's Deerfield Academy in Massachusetts, and it's a high school football game, and it's black and white, and everybody's locked on the field, focused on the field. And right behind the stands, the school is burning down. I think it may be the library is on fire. But everybody's locked on the game, and he used that story to illustrate at the end of the day, you know, it's still about the game and what we're doing and how we're helping young people. And that kind of resonated with me. So as you as you focus so much on the players and the people and the relationships and the development, which they want, and I agree, they do, and they're craving that almost almost to mitigate the rest of the external environment and those influences. Um, my guess is that staffing uh, has grown to where you have maybe more support to try to do some of that, so you and your staff can can anchor on the things that maybe are most important. Have you seen? maybe sub departments or departments grow, or do you see that trending or, or maybe where, what direction do you think it will go as you consider college football? Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think to your point, you know, coach is, I think that's where the gap is widening, right? The schools that have the ability to put together, um, you know, whether it's scouting departments, almost like the NFL, um, you know, they're able to do that or the schools that, have got collectives that literally as soon as this passed were up and rolling. And and let's be honest, the schools that have had a culture of giving for a long time, you know, whether that is, (laughs) whether that is uh, legal or illegal, there was still, there was still a culture. and, And I mean that like there was still a culture where the people we're already comfortable with the idea of giving to the players. And you just translated that from under the table to over the table, where at a place like Penn state, or maybe a place like UVA or BYU, where that maybe that is so contradictory to what they've been doing for a hundred years and what has been pounded, you know, into their donors and boosters about the right way to conduct business now you're trying to say, okay, forget what we've been telling you for 50 years, and now we can do those things. So I think in a lot of places, you know, there has been some uh, resistance to that, obviously. So getting people to buy into that as, as quickly as possible, I think, has is, is been really important. And again, the universities that were aggressive from the beginning – in going out and educating their donors and fans and what this means, they're way ahead of everybody else. And what I try to explain it to our donors, which are successful business men and women, is it's no different than any other industry, right? When the rules change, you better change with the rules too, and you better be aggressive and bold within those changes. Um so that that's what we're trying to do. And um, you know, we've had a little bit of a change in leadership here, and that's impacted that as well. Hmm. It, when it comes to leadership and and maybe in your case, as you had the opportunity to coach at Vanderbilt and lead that program and now at Penn State, 
and for for aspiring head coaches that listen and and other leaders as you're considering opportunities or maybe as uh, a young coach is considering opportunities how much weight would you say and how much thought occupied your mind as to who you'd be working with possibly athletic director possibly head coach or possibly president and and then now that you've been at each place how has that played out in terms of importance well, Bronco, I'm like the worst person to ask that question. Of. Uh, but I think I think your point is a great one. Um, I think the reason why you work so hard is whether that's a player or whether that's a coach or whether that's an administrator or any business, right? You work really hard so that hopefully you can be in a position uh, to have some control of your own fate and destiny and be able to choose who you're going to work with. When I, when I took the job at Vanderbilt, let's be honest, nobody wanted the job, <laughs> right? Uh, so at that point, you know, I was just, I was just really determined to try to get a shot somewhere. So there wasn't a whole lot of a screening you know, process for me. Um, then, to be honest with you, I take the Penn State job, and looking back at it, it was kind of a crazy decision. When I took the Penn State job, there was an interim AD and an interim president. As you remember, I took the Penn State job at a very challenging time in Penn State's history. So I essentially took the Penn State job without knowing who my bosses were going to be. So let's spin it, okay? I've learned and grown <laughs> so much. Ten years later, I sign a new contract with the chair of the board. So essentially, I didn't know who my boss was going to be because ultimately it's the chair of the board. But my president was retiring. And then not long after that, my AD retires. So basically, <laughs> I've, done it, I've done it three times now, Bronco. I don't know if I've learned it a lot. But, but I think your point is a good one. You work hard as an assistant coach that hopefully you have options so you can say, hey, I want to go work with Bronco, Bronco Mendenhall because he's a great coach and a better person. That's going to be a really good environment for me to grow and for me to raise my family. Um, or you're a head coach and I want to go work for this AD at this institution that has enough resources where – Here's the big one for me. Does the commitment match the expectations? And at very few schools, is that the case? Where, where the commitment level actually matches the expectations. Um, so being able to go to a place that has that type of support and those type of resources um, is really why you work so hard and, and why coaches a lot of times leave and move on. Fans get mad. The media rips you and they don't know why. Well, most coaches, I don't think, want to leave. They leave because they don't feel like they're getting the internal support that they need to reach the highest goals, whether that's graduation rates or national championships or a combination of both. It's a, a really valuable point. And I remember uh, you taught me that. We had a conversation on the phone one time about another matter. And I remember those words, uh, rarely does commitment meet expectations. And and that I think that places head coaches, most of us, um, 
in a very unique position where then you're you're working to connect that within that friction point. And sometimes your own expectations as the head coach might be higher than maybe an institutional commitment or or maybe their own uh, expectations. And so I think each one of those is is a little bit different. I'm wondering like in your personal life and and how you manage the expectations and the visibility. Each personality I think handles it differently and a lot of us have strategies to do that. Um, what's been effective for you in terms of the visibility, the expectations, and quite frankly, just the, the outward facing position and the unrelenting into what you're doing? Yeah, I don't think people realize that's one of the that's one of the challenging parts of the job, right? Like it's like I talk to my quarterbacks about like I don't yeah. care you wake up in the morning and you leave your house, you're the Penn State quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, whatever setting you're in, that's the reality of it. And I think it's same, very similar to being a head football coach, right? Like you can't have a bad day. You know, <laughs> you, you, you go to get donuts on Sunday morning after the game and you have an interaction with somebody, it, it needs to be a positive one. Um, you got to be clean shaven. And for me, that's shaving cream from here <laughs> to here every morning at, at 5 a.m. So, um, I think that's what people don't realize is it's a it's a it's a, it's not an eight to five job. And I'm not talking about the hours that you're in the office. It's even when you leave, you know, you're, you're the head coach at Vanderbilt in Nashville is a much different job because at that time, no, I don't mean this as a knock to anybody, but at that time, nobody cared, you know, in Nashville. And nobody cared that James Franklin was sitting there because Luke Bryan was sitting over over there, which was which was much cooler, right? Um, at, but being at a place like Penn State, you know, it's it's a big deal, and that has an impact on you. It has an impact on your family. I remember going out to dinner with my wife, and I have two daughters, and they were young at the time, and I don't like to sit on the inside of a booth. I like to sit on the outside of the booth, right? A little elbow room. And I remember my daughter, my oldest daughter, Shola, at the time, she she was like, dad, sit, sit on the inside of the booth. And I'm like, no, I want to sit on the outside booth. No, sit on the inside of the booth. And I'm like, why do you want me to sit on the inside booth? She goes, if you sit on the outside of the booth, people will come up to the table the whole time and interrupt our dinner as a family. And it was an aha moment for me because my daughter was young at the time, maybe eight or nine years old. And it made me realize that she is, whether I realize it or not, she is taking it all in. And, and they just want me to be dad, you know, and, and sometimes that is challenging to just be the dad that they need me to be uh, in a setting where I should be. The uh, the always on is is a constant that uh, I, I think maybe very few people understand about the position. And so it resonates. And I remember one time I have three boys and one of my boys came home and I was talking to him about his school day and and friends. And he said, yeah, uh, but he's only my friend because of what you do, dad. And, and this is elementary school. And so the our families are perceptive. And what we do and the positions that many aspire to, um, there are challenges that come not just for the head coach, but for the family. And I remember role playing with my kids as to if we had a loss. OK, now here comes comments 
for on the playground or from teachers even. Uh, and what are those responses? And, and we would be role playing in the front room of the house on Sunday, <laughs> preparing for Monday. That's for the whole family, not just the head coach in the press conferences and, and all that. But basically, your family is living the press conferences or the outcome related world. And I'm wondering, uh, are there any things that you found really effective with your family um, or advice you could give others as, as they aspire to this position and maybe don't yet know what the position really is in terms of lifestyle? Well, the first thing I was just sitting here thinking about when you're talking is I should have talked to you earlier because we didn't do role playing. We did kickboxing. So, uh, right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I like I that too. I should have talked to you. Um, but no, that's 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 challenging, right? Because it does it it impacts it impacts everybody. Um, and I would make the argument it's easier on us, Bronco, because a lot of times we're in the submarine in the season where we get in the office before the sun comes up and then we leave late uh, and our players have to walk around campus after a loss and listen to it. Our kids are on the playground and have to listen to it. I don't worry about my wife because she's, she's <laughs> tough. Um, but it, it's it's these are things that I don't think people – understand and recognize that that make the job challenging on a personal level like like my kid doesn't need to hear about a bad call on third down on the playground yeah. like and and you know I think even when you tell the story it, it comes off as kind of funny but but as we know these fans are passionate um, and it's not being delivered kind of in a cute, funny way. And it's magnified because our kids are sensitive to it anyway. You know, um, I got a great picture kind of on my wall as we had a great game in 2016 against USC and, and we lost the Rose Bowl and I went back and forth like it was a hell of a game if you're a college football fan. Not so much if you're Penn State because it didn't end the way we wanted it to end. But I remember coming down on the field and my one daughter was just in tears because um, she was she's so invested in it. And then the other thing is you're just trying to have a moment with your family and there's cameras all around you. So you can't even have just a natural kind of organic moment as a family. So you're, Bronco, I think. You know, your point is is a, is a great one, um, but I do think young aspiring coaches, they have to think about this, the, the impact that it's going to have on your family. And I don't care whether it's major college football or some of these crazy high school towns that everything revolves around, you know, the football program. There's yeah. the same type of spotlight and intensity. Yeah. The uh, one of the things you mentioned, which uh, uh, just struck a chord with me is the cameras and and the pervasive nature of where they are. And I remember allowing uh, almost a reality 24 seven type approach when I was coaching at BYU for cameras to come into the building and to be in team meetings. And I regretted it instantly uh, after I agreed to it. And wow, did I see behavior of people change in the presence of a camera. And and then when the camera turned elsewhere, their behavior changed, which which I thought was really fascinating. And I'm wondering now, as it seems like each practice needs a highlight film to be sent to 
uh, to the world, right, of all the cool things that are happening, which is just a work day. Um, I'm wondering how you're how you're managing that uh, in terms of maybe the the fame that comes to the exposure. And I know we're we're close to time here, so just just maybe the the kids and and their management of and how you're helping them with their visibility and with the entertainment and maybe the social media presence. Yeah, so I think that's that's a great one. I, I think it's one thing if it's internal people because they're around the program all the time. And our players are comfortable with it and you don't see a change in behavior. And then the other thing is because we're controlling all of it, we're always going to make them look good. And there's opportunities to help them with that, learn how to deal with the media and and grow. And you could kind of go through and show them a cut up of how they respond. Well, look, we're not going to put this one out. But you didn't really answer this question great, and this is why. And then watch yourself, because we all know it's powerful to watch yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those are really positive. I think your point is a good one. It's it's the outside world that comes in. And we did the same thing. I had the administration and our media people like hammering me about the importance of the exposure. And my chief of staff on you know on our staff thought it was such a great idea. And I had some of the same concerns. So we were, we, we were able to get some editorial control of it, which, mm-hmm. which helped uh, because we pretty much said no a couple times. But I think your point is a great one, Bronco. You still watched people change, uh, players change, staff change. Not as much of the older ball coaches because they could, <laughs> they, could, they could give a, you know, give a hoot. Um, but, but a lot of the young people, they change and, and to be honest with you, I, I get it. It's hard. You know, when you got a camera right in your face, 24 hours a day. Um, so I, I think there's a big difference between the internal and the external, uh, the internal stuff. We're just trying to make our players look good and our program look as good as possible. But I think the more important thing is, it's a really powerful tool in teaching them how to interact with the media and how valuable that is for their careers as well. Mm. Well, we've we've covered so many, I, I think, just prevalent topics and and your time and energy and effort, uh, not only leading Penn State's program, but just on behalf of college football and the time and energy you spend in becoming a, a really skilled leader uh, and spokes, spokesperson, which we are, whether we like it or not, and some I think are more suitable than others to really speaking on behalf of the game. So we appreciate your time and energy this morning and effort to, to help educate those that might want to challenge and, and take themselves uh, out of the world and into this profession for maybe the motive of helping young people. Well, Brian, I appreciate the opportunity and Bronco. I always enjoy you know an opportunity to visit with you. I want to thank you for your recommendation of, of Marcus Hagan's. He is killing it here. One of oh, your great. former staff members is doing a great job representing you, the University of Virginia, the state as a whole, specifically the 757, uh, is killing it. And I hope uh, you'll get a chance to get away for a day and come up and spend an afternoon with us at practice. I'd love to have you around our staff for a day. That, that would, I'd be thrilled to do that. Thanks for the invitation, and we wish you all the best. Thanks so much, James. Thanks, guys. Okay. Appreciate it, James. Have have a good one. For Bronco Mendenhall and James uh, James Franklin, I'm Brian Fisher. Tune in next week for another episode of Head Coach You.